Coming up, we take a look at the Brooklyn Nets and the remaining 24 games on the schedule. What are their chances to make the playoffs, to get out of the play-in if that's where they fall? And what are the expectations for this new-look roster, both in the short and long-term, as Sean Marks and Jock Vaughn construct the Brooklyn Nets for the foreseeable future? You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie, owner-operator DFSR, for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrecht, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And we let you know, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. And Doug, it's all behind us, my friend. The trades, the speculations, the rumors. We got a coach for the long term, a GM for the long term, and a bunch of talented guys on the roster. Before we dive in on expectations for the remainder of this season, what do the what do the betting numbers say the expectations should be for the rest of this season? Um, well, we'll go into some of the uh, yeah, we'll go into some of the odds here uh, in one second. One thing I just want to clarify from yesterday's episode that we did not touch on um, was around the length of the Jacques Vaughn. So we kind of jumped on right after the Jacques Vaughn signing um, and did not know the length of the contract. We now know that it's and this has to do a little bit, I think, about sort of our views around the rest of the season, too. Mm. We know now that his contract is through 2627. So it's for the next four years, which is mm. actually longer than any uh, player that they currently have under contract, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> like, I thought that was Just, um, good. And that's right on the cusp of when a lot where those some of those valuable trade draft picks could come into effect there. Twenty eight, twenty nine. So like you're yep. you're right in between. Right. Play out this. And also set the table for someone else to maybe be in charge. So I thought that was an interesting just kind of number. And look, you're always, if you're anyone that's, you know, going for a contract and negotiating a contract, you're always going for length. So I don't think that there's, I don't think it's like all tied to these players. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and some of these guys are going to resign, you know, like you know, whoever they end up kind of resigning for longer extensions, whatever. So all this will change very quickly. I just did find that interesting one. It's just very long. Like it's just, that's a, that's a, a long commitment to make, to make to a coach. And so, um, and it was actually longer than I would have guessed what would have been it when we did it at the time. So I wanted to clarify that real quick before we get into this other stuff. Yeah. And um, we'll go ahead and set the table for the rest of this season. On the back end of the episode, that does trigger another thought for me around expectations for this iteration of the team. Okay, so let's just take a lay of the land here where the Nets are as we head out of the All-Star break. They play Friday. It will be coming to you live on YouTube following the game on Friday, so make sure you are around for that. Uh, 34-24, and 24, fifth in the East, seven and a half back from the top-ranked uh, Boston. They are two and a half games out of the play-in right now over the Miami Heat, who are 32 and 27. They are the five and – no, sorry. Uh, they are uh, eight and a half games out of like just the lottery, right? Which is where the bulls are at 26 and 33. So that's just the real quick sort of high level look 
of where the Nets sit now. If you go to some different spots to just grab some of these numbers, our friends over at Tankathon have the Nets as the seventh strongest schedule remaining at 512. So they have a slightly more difficult schedule from here on out for the final 24 games. Though if you go over to 538 and look at their Raptor projected model, the Nets actually have the seventh highest uh, this, did this drop a little bit? Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, they have the set. I just skipped right over them. Uh, they have this because they were so high. They have this Nets have the seventh best, excuse me, eighth best um, odds to make the playoffs right now at 90%, which I found right. to be interesting. And of course, Raptor is taking in the Kevin Durant and, and, and Kyrie Irving are no longer on the team. It's just kind of more about where their record sits right now. Um, so anyway, when you hear those numbers, when you see like stronger strength, the schedule, when you see, 90% chance of the playoffs for, for the Nets, for according to Raptor, which is pretty good at, the, at this kind of stuff in prognostication. Um, you know, what are you sort of thinking around this team when it comes to just like their, I guess, like their short-term prospects and like sort of what to expect over this last handful of games? Yeah, well, I mean, from a high level, when you look at the standings, and, and I'm assuming, you know, when you talk about playoffs, that's the playing games as well. So you go all the way down to the 10th seed in the Toronto Raptors. They have 31 losses. So the Nets are seven up in the loss column on them. So you talk about 90% chances to make the playoffs. Yeah, they should be. Because even just from a what other teams, every other team behind them would need to do to get over top of them and knock them out, that's a heavy lift over 24 games, right? I mean, the Nets would have to, if we're thinking about expectations, the Nets would need to be five, six, seven games under 500 combined with a pretty big run for these other teams to get over the top of them. And they have, I think they have the Bucks mixed in here over the back end of the schedule as well. That's some of the difficulty of the strength of schedule. But I'm fascinated by a couple of different things. We've seen them play 500 basketball to this point. I think this all-star break came at the right time after all of these trades to figure some more things out from a rotation standpoint and just playing together and having a little bit more consistency quarter by quarter. Those things, I think, benefit them. I expect them to play at least 500 basketball, I think, over the remainder of their schedule. Haven't looked at every single opponent that lines up. And then the other benefit is, like, some of these teams you may take on, where are they in the hierarchy of the standings? Because that's going to impact teams that start to rest the last couple of games down the stretch, preparing for their run in the playoffs, et cetera. So I think it all breaks right to me. Like, this is a talented enough team. We've talked about this. They're a really good defensive team. They're going to give you fits on that end of the court. As long as they figure out how to have consistent scoring with Mikhail Bridges, Dinwiddie, we'll talk about Cam Thomas. Like, as long as they can check those boxes, I find it kind of hard to think they're going to fall out of the playoffs in just 24 games. Yeah, look, and just a point of clarification, I think that playoffs here does not include play-in. I, I think it does include, it, it just means playoffs, like going to the playoff series. Now, I will say about that, though. That also means getting lines, out of the play-ins then, right? Well, this is what I mean, eight. because when you're out of the, because here's the thing, when you're out of the play-in, like, then your chances are 100%, one. But two, like, just the fact that you are, are you're above the play-in here, like, every spot you are above seven, or even if you're in seven, because then it's a home game and win one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, then it's, like, eight, and it's a it's an away game, but you win one and you're, you're still in, right? So, like, these every step above 10 does make a huge difference with that. And they have banked so many wins at this point because of just how good they were for that huge stretch over December and December plus that like they are in a situation where I mean, we've seen stranger things happen, but like they just are in a situation where they it's, it feels inconceivable. And two, two more things. I didn't want to say something. One is one kind of important game will happen really quickly here on Sunday against Atlanta. Cause Atlanta is one of those teams fighting for the play in. If they win that Atlanta game, you're going to see those odds cre creep up a little bit more because they'll just, 
have separated themselves by one more game. And also, and you, it made me think of this because you said they were like, oh, they're, 50, they're 500 in the stretch around the trade deadline. I remember they're a Dinwiddie like millisecond away from being three and one, right? That, that in, in the first game, game without he, Bridges or Johnson. He hit the because he hit that buzzer beater. That's right, and it was just and it was off and it was it was out. You know, it was short by like point two seconds or something like that. Like they would have been three and one. I know you can't do that because it doesn't count, but like it, the stretch has been okay, yes. <laughs> right? And it sends the trade deadline. So coming up here in a second, uh, I want to explain why even in the playing scenario, the Nets are in a really good position to officially make the playoffs, and then also break down expectations for these individual players over these final twenty four. All right, we are past the midway point of the NBA season. It's a perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers are going to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's a bonus bet back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Safe, secure, super easy to use. Getting choked up about how much I like FanDuel. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers, the threes drain. They still got Nick Claxton, plus 950 at that Defensive Player of the Year it's dropped a little bit over there on FanDuel. So I don't love to see that, but I got to look, FanDuel knows what they're doing over here. They know the playing time might be going down a little bit. Maybe he's kind of co- like they're going to coast a little bit here toward the end of the season. FanDuel gets it and you can get it too. You have to go over to our friends over on FanDuel. Let's you combine bets together for a bigger payout with the same game parlay. And like I said, you're going to get that no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars in bonus bets. When you go to fanduel.com slash locked on, that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay. So first real quick, just on the, the playoffs and play in scenario. And you mentioned there about Atlanta. That is a big game. It's worth noting that three of their next four games coming out of the all-star break. Now these are all going to be on the road, except for the home game against the bucks. It's Chicago, Atlanta, and then the New York Knicks who sit right behind the Brooklyn nets and beat them obviously in their last meeting, slapping that a uh, winning streak that the nets had had. But why those are all significant is that even Chicago, because guess what? The Nets could fall behind every team that's behind them down to 10. They'd still be 10th. And in the play-in game, you need Chicago to get over them as well. So they can do a bit of, of nice work for themselves, controlling their destiny if they beat specifically the Knicks. You said Atlanta and then even Chicago. Get those wins. Get two out of three, however they come, and you put yourself in that much better of a scenario. On top of which, I'll just say that when we look down to the play-in teams, which are Miami, Atlanta, Washington, and Toronto, you're going to be hard-pressed to tell me that, and, and by the way, because we've seen the sample size against those teams after the Stars were traded, and you know, especially with Miami, I feel good. I'm not saying I'm going to be bullish on them winning those games wherever they were there, but I feel really confident playing any of those four teams. This is not the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. It's all the rest, especially a team like the Washington Wizards, who I think have just been, I mean, in perpetuity, a bit of a disaster. So like, that's the other reason that I am confident around it, especially if we assume you get to that place. Now, if they fall from 6th to 10th, that means things have gone pretty bad for them and my expectations would change. But I'm assuming they stay on the upper edge of that. Maybe they do stay clear of the play-in game. I- I'm pretty bullish about them being able to take on those teams that currently sit behind them. Yeah, the Nets are like uniquely positioned here for this final uh, stretch of games because, one, we know that they're not really built to be a great playoff team. That's just what happens when you trade away your best players. Like That's, that's just how the NBA works. Um, you want to have players you want to have superstars that can play 40 minutes a game in the playoffs like that's the whole that's basically the recipe the nets do not have that but they are very as we talked about on many podcasts we're leading up to this the nets are a very deep team like they need the nets are actually a good regular season team because 
it's actually hard to get away from them. If you're if your opponents, like their second units are going to be running into like elite defensive combinations here, yeah. <laughs> almost like the entire 48 or 240 minutes or 48 minutes of the game. So the Nets actually are, are not an easy out from a regular season standpoint going forward here, just because they have lots of real players. They don't have any superstars, but they have lots of good slash above average players. And from a regular season build, like that does have a very high floor. You combine that with there's like no motivation for them. to. I mean, there's like a little motivation if you wanted to keep your own draft pick because it's not going to convey to Houston with the pick swap this year, but they just have too many wins. So it's just like doesn't matter. Like it would be impossible. It'd be like impossible almost for them to get into the, that would be the, into old- the lottery. I'll cut you off this time. That'd be the old, like, try to get yourself dumpster down, but the team is you could, too good to lose the games you need to, and it ends up not working out anyway, right? Even if they wanted to do it, like, even if they were like, hey, it actually does make sense to try to get a lottery pick this year because we have our own, and I think there is, like, a world where that would have made sense. They couldn't do it for two reasons. One, they banked too many wins. Two, they're too good. Like we just said, yeah. like, to be one of those teams, you have to have, a, like, do what OKC did last year. It's like, hey – Here's five guys you never heard of that are going to play 48 minutes a game. Enjoy it, right? They literally did that at the end of the year. It was like it was a total mess. The Nets don't even have the personnel to be able to do that. They have too many good players. So, like, even – I mean, look, if you started Patty Mills and Joe Harris every game, like, would you probably – you'd probably lose, right? But they're not going to do that. So, I think that, like, they're just in a unique posi- – it's actually cool from a fan perspective because I think There's we have floor. from a fan – There's a floor. Oh, dude, right? we, have a, we have a great rooting interest here to be like – Let's see what we have. Let's root really hard for a team we know is going to play hard here because everyone's playing for a contract and everyone's playing to like kind of keep the floor, their own floor high. And like, they're just going to be good enough to actually root for, (laughs) right? Like, like, so I think that we're in, I think even as fans we're uniquely positioned to kind of go along for the ride of these last 24 games with the team. And and also, um, you know, just when we talk about, um, expectations for this team trade deadline you pass through some of those guys some of these guys that come in you pass them through and they go somewhere else for more assets you do reduce the roster so it isn't good enough to win enough basketball games if you want to oh, go yeah, that yeah. Route. if you were tanking to. you mean yeah exactly you there's a way to get there you jettison right. a handful of good players so there isn't enough good talent here that wasn't the expectation and we said this going all the way back to the offseason when all this stuff kicked up around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving it was no matter what the Brooklyn Nets cannot afford to go into tank mode with this franchise because it took too long to build up to that. And we've seen, you mentioned OKC, you can't go into purgatory for half a decade or more if you're a team in a major market, regardless of if it's viewed secondary to New York and the Knicks. It's a major market. You can't afford to disappear like that. Let's close out, though. I want to ask you, there's 24 games left. I've looked over like the schedule. There's some nice ones, a couple games against Orlando, Detroit's mixed in there. And just in general, like I said, Hey, 500 ball. Do you have that expectation over the 24 games before we get into like specific player expectations here and what it can mean? Do you feel like from a talent standpoint, knowing it's a mixed bag of schedule that they can play 500 basketball? I actually, it's just funny about 500 because I I think better than that, but that's my floor. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's funny about that because I actually, when I look at this team, I just think average team. Like, that's what they are. They're kind of just an average team. Like, they are, they have no superstars, depending on what you think Bridges en- ends up getting to, right? Like, he's probably the guy that has probably the highest ceiling of anyone on the team, or he just does. Like, it's not even a, that's not even a hot take. Um, but 
in terms like so they're not they're clearly not a great team they're not a bad team <laughs> because they just have too many just good rotational guys on, on the squad here uh i think the, they have mot- they're motivated to be like sort of a, around the, i think they're motivated to probably punch a little bit above their weight mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of just like whatever the maybe the sum is greater than the the, the whole the parts or however that saying goes so i but i i do think of them as kind of just like an average team that's fine but that would be around a 500 team, <laughs> right? Like if everything kind of breaks, right, that's around 500 and 500 for them is good enough at this point. And 500 for them keeps them out of the playing game probably. Well, and well, by the I way, don't know. You're like, that's fine. Over a whole season, like 500 ball right now, you'd be the eighth seed above the Atlanta Hawks. Like, you know, and expectations, the yes. record is, is separate from expectations of what you want to accomplish. But again, a full season, chemistry development our perspectives and opinions would evolve and change about that but to your point purely from a talent standpoint that's where i think they are and on a game-to-game basis hey watch out they just beat a team that's a few rungs above them in the standings totally doable and maybe they do have a clunker where the offense isn't quite clicking and you feel like you drop one that you shouldn't have which i think is is reasonable and and that's why i am excited about the back half where you go change my opinion Right, change my opinion over these 24 games. Make me feel like you know what, you're even a little bit better than a 500 team. You are a team that could win 46 games in a year as currently comprised, regardless of any changes that happen. And that again, like that does get me excited because it means I have an uncertainty around what this is in a good way. Yeah, and as we've said many times, we've said, and I'm going to formulate this into a math problem. It's like. culture equals wins divided by expectation, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of where we've, we've deemed culture to be something along uh, some kind of math problem like that. It's like how many wins you have divided by your expectation. If you have X amount of, if you have a 500 record worth of wins and your expectation was, you know, the championship, then your culture stinks. If you have 500, (laughs) if you have, if you have, if you have, if you have um, 500 wins and everyone thought you were going to be a lottery team, your culture is amazing, right? So the Nets are in that ladder group right now. So when you said Atlanta, it's like, yeah, they're a 500 team. Well, that's a disaster because they have Trey Young and they traded for Deshante Murray. And it's just like, it's a total mess, right? These, these expectations around the team are just totally different around this net squad. So 500 is just fine for a, like, look, you don't want to do this for five straight years, <laughs> right? Like now, we start, yeah, exactly. That's a really which by point. the way they did. And we kind of ran the course on the D low Karis, you know, Jared Allen group. Right. And, and eventually you need to cycle out of that, but where they are now, hold on. We're going to get into this in a second. I know you want to jump in here, but I gotta, I gotta tell you about our friends um, in Philip Bar one second, but like when you are, when you are, when you've reset the cultural expectations around the team, then like those numbers are all of a sudden way more palatable (laughs) than they are ever were in the past. And I know Adam has strong thoughts about that, which we are going to get to in a second. First going to tell you about our friends over at built bar. We are, Almost a March. I can't even believe this calendars fly by with this few games left in the NBA season. But maybe you're a little far afield of those New Year's resolutions that you made about health, about eating healthy. It's all right. Get back on the right train here with Built Bar. Built Bar combined two things that we need health and great taste. And believe me, this is harder than you think, but Bill Bar figured it out. They started with the flavors like peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. They're not candy bars. They're actual protein bars that taste great with the stats to back it up. Back it up 130 calories, just four grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. You can get them at built.com. You can go over to Sam's Club. You go to Walmart, really anywhere where you're going to get those boxes. They're going to be good to add to your supply. Go to built.com right now. Grab, grab yourself a, a brownie batter. Grab a churro. You'll thank me later. Built.com. 
Okay. So the first thing that I just wanted to touch on there before we talk about uh, what certain players can accomplish for themselves and ultimately for the team and the way we look at them over the remainder of the season and pushing towards what will be a- another big offseason for Brooklyn. You mentioned the last iteration of this 500 team, Plucky going to the playoffs, and Spencer Dinwiddie was a part of that. The one thing I'll make very clear is we know what Jared Allen turned into. But go back and look at that roster. This is now a far better roster than that, in, in my opinion. Like the totality of the parts that you're talking about. Karis LeVert never turned into that next iteration of whatever we thought maybe he could have been. And even you and I at the time of the Harden trade said, yeah, we're over. Fans are overvaluing what he's going to be. The depth, the consistency, the experience. Like what they did differently here is that was young and plucky and surprising some people. This version of the team, even in the short term, is still some youth like Claxton, like Cam Thomas, but then experience with Spencer Dinwiddie DFS experience, even with Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, because they've been around the league for a handful of years and played on teams that have had playoff experience. So I think that that actually, you know, the NBA changes every single season. But in that regard, I would put this iteration of the team a rung or two above that version. Now, the caveat is that version overachieved. So them being, you know, a 500 team and making it is going to look different for this team and where expectations go as well. Yeah, look, that's just kind of where that's sometimes this is where you reset your landscape to be right. Like it's just where in terms of the players you have and the expectation levels around them. And you mentioned Levert and guys like that. Like this is what sort of happens when you are on different timelines with who your players are. Right. Like, is that kind of what you're getting at? Like with in terms of thinking about who you have on the roster as compared to what you want to think about for the future? Oh, 100%. Like, like the, back then, it didn't matter. There was no expectations yes. of competing for a championship, so it was all great. This team isn't expected to compete for a championship, but they are expected. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, I want to ask some questions about other players like DFS and Dinwiddie, but those two players specifically, who are, who are buddies off the court and hopefully buddies on the court, you know, as they've been said now, thing one and thing two with their number selections. The expectations for them is show that you can be a part of this nucleus that can have a higher expectation than just making the playoffs. Like whatever their ceiling is going to be and moves that may get made down the road as currently constructed, those players need to show that we can win a first round playoff series. And then, and then we'll see where we go from there. We can be a concerning threat in a second round series for certain teams. Like I think that bar of expectations is going to change when we talk about, what are the moves that the team makes going forward? What other players do they try to bring in here? I think that that is starkly different than the other version. Not in this moment. We're all just happy to have some talent and have some fun. But that's what I think it's building towards, unlike what they thought back then. Back then, they thought, we're just trying to build to a point where we can attract big superstars. Now, I'd say you feel like you're just one other key piece maybe away from moving the needle. Yeah, and I think they bought themselves some time with that too. Like again, they banked a bunch of wins, and the expectations are going to be a little lower here because the team is kind of new together, right? Like they're not going to have a a lot of time together to play. Now, you know, funny thing is, none of these Nets teams ever had time to play together because no one ever 
they never played never all on the court at the same time in any iteration change that that kind of consistency that they have too you can change that pattern if you want you can have yeah i'd love to have like not like hey oh 23rd starting lineup is for this season that's pretty amazing (laughs) um or oh we're starting a lineup in the playoffs that we've never seen in the regular season that's kind of awesome like (laughs) that kind of happened last year yeah, so they've also bought themselves time with this too. Like the expectations are going to be low here, um, but you will have be able to also get a little taste of what it could look like in the future. I think that's kind of a great spot. It's a little house money-ish in terms of like how they how they might view themselves with the chance to really surprise people <laughs> in terms of like what, how far they go. And if they got swept out of the playoffs, I don't think anyone would care except that we would, you know, we would be bummed, but you know, does that make sense? Like, I think that they're just oh, yeah. in a good spot when it comes to that. Oh no. For And I think like the way you play matters in those games, right? Yeah. Remember again, go back to the previous iteration. They got swept by Philadelphia, but there were like two out of those four games were really competitive where there was this world. You go, Oh, oh man, you could have taken one or two, and that was more than enough, right? Dude, like that, I that had people great. like saying that that was the, the the last time they had a great time rooting for the Nets was like that well, specific series. And Keith McPherson brought this up when we did the crossover at the start of the week, um, where he said he's like, "Guess what? Guess what? The expectations are for, make the make the playoffs, plans or otherwise. If you make the plan, get out of that plan." He goes, "If you win one game, you're on par with the team from last year with the superstars." So guess what? Like the you know the threshold for success and the way the fans are going to feel about it, it doesn't take a lot to get there. Um, I want to on the end of this, I will ask you a question about expectations ultimately. But I know I know we want to talk about Cam Thomas, and we've already discussed him, and I think we will continue, and we're going to see what comes of this. But the one thing I found fascinating was Cam Johnson when he came over from Phoenix. The reports were that Phoenix didn't want to go to the four-year, I think it was 72 or 76 million, whatever it was. They didn't want to meet that expectation that Cam Johnson was looking for in the extension. Knowing that relationship, how much more for you would Cam Johnson need to show over the back half of this season to get to the offseason and say, yeah, you're worth that 20 million-ish a year. And you can go and look at guys around the league. Some look like really good deals. Some look a little worse. But is it, unreasonable to set that expectation knowing what it means to this new current core of this team with cam johnson specifically you mean like yeah um, and I guess as it pertains to what you need to see from him like can you in your mind can you see something different now in, in a larger and expanding role here with brooklyn where you go by the end of the year i go yeah that is a 20 million dollar a year player unlike you know other iterations are being in Phoenix where you'd say, sorry, you're, you're four or five guys down the totem pole here. It'd be hard for us to go that way with you. Yeah. It could have been a money crunch there with the Suns for sure. Right. Like with, with him specifically, you know, it's funny of him. The sample size is like kind of there, but not really. He's only started 55 games as a, as an NBA player, 55 in his whole career has not started a full NBA start. He's played more of those games, but he's not started a full NBA season's worth of games, which is interesting. 17. He picked up coming back from his injury this year with Phoenix. Phoenix got right into the yeah, like they're line. all yeah, like a third of them were this season, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, now he's gonna have an expanded role though, like he's already playing more minutes here than he has at any other stop, so like you're gonna be able to just see more. So, I think there's like some world where Phoenix didn't want to go there because they had their sights set in a slightly different direction, mm-hmm. right? And they just have a lot of more money, they had a ton of money in the books too, like they just had the eight and Booker and they had CP and they maybe wanted to consolidate into Kevin Durant, like it was gonna be and they had bridges too at the time, it was gonna be hard to maybe actually pony up that amount of money for him i think he's probably playing he is definitely playing for a contract here in terms of like what the nets will offer him i would i would it's funny about where teams set their um sites the fact that he it probably helps him a lot 
that he was included in the Kevin Durant trade. Right. <laughs> like when you were part of a trade that brought back Kevin Durant at that point, like you just get helped a lot by just having your name associated with that trade. And if they were to not resign him, it would look probably look a little weird. So I think yeah. that actually probably helps him from that standpoint. And we definitely just have to see a lot more from him also over yeah. these last few games. And he's going to have a chance. He's going to have a more of a chance to show it now than he has at, at, at other stops. Like already the usage is higher and the minutes are higher than he's ever played before. So sometimes that can just help also. The one, the one other bow I think we can tie in this, we'll get out the door, is remember that the Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith trade was about getting Kyrie out, and I'd be really curious to hear from Sean Marks and the Nets of saying, and that was a move to still keep Kevin Durant versus no matter what, those were going to be good players to have here. And I actually can agree that they were. like they're, they're still quality players to be a part of this. But when it comes to what they accomplish in the short term, I, I don't know if either one of those guys will do anything short of really, you know, stepping up in a massive way that they'll do anything over these final 24 that going into the off season and going into next year and next year's deadline that the Nets organization will say, these are two 29, 30 year old guys, good championship contending contributors. Like I think that those guys, if we just want to take the, the high level view, those guys can be earmarked for, and how do we keep replenishing our draft capital? How do we keep making adjustments to this roster? There's more than a few players here that are not necessarily here for the long haul. Like, How much of this roster do you think might not be here after one offseason? Because that's like an interesting thing. Not to, I don't want to, I'm not bringing it down. It's, just, it's actually a good thing for Brooklyn, but Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, like, those are four guys that might not be a part of what the new construction looks like beyond this year. Yeah, all a little different, you know, reasoning. I mean, Dinwiddie has non-guarantee money, although it's not exactly clear what number that is for next year at 21 million. You could definitely see him as an expiring going out the door yeah. if they were just that was going to look different for a sort of part of the rebuild. Finney Smith is like under a really reasonable number here through 25-26. So maybe, I don't maybe know. I'm, maybe I'm misstating putting him in that actually. I'm not sure, though, because you can also have like that sometimes too many wings that aren't enough on ball creators and you can have sort of tragedy of the commons when it comes to that, too. And so I think that um, he's an interesting case that they at some point you can be have too many dudes like of the same archetype right. <laughs> and, and those guys have value elsewhere, too. So I don't totally disagree with the fact that part that he might not be part of it long term. I would definitely agree with the Dinwiddie piece, the Harris thing. He's going to be expiring. It's hard to see him part of a rebuild. Curry, same kind of thing. So I think I do think we're in a going to see another little mini reset on the players but i do think probably i mean bridges for sure i mean simmons is still here um i could see simmons simmons bridges finney smith and i could see them re-signing cam johnson and having him part of that for the piece i just mentioned too it's like hey you came over the durant trade and that gives you immediate value to make sure that like we got something back yeah <laughs> um like so i i can see that being part of it too but the other guys too like if you're 30 years and older like yeah, the, I would say that there's probably this is probably the end of the line. Um, I know we're getting at the door here, but the last thing since it's the All Star break and we're coming back, do the net? You, you think the Nets make the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. Do I they, they do they win a playoff game? No. Oh, play win a playoff game? Sorry, just win a playoff game. Like out, out, out of the play in, they go to the no. first official first round. Nah, they don't. I don't, I don't think they do. Because one thing about that is that I think that like while I think the Nets are built really well for a regular season. Remember, when you get to the playoffs, everyone just plays their best five. So the Nets have like a really good 12, right? But they don't have, but they don't have a, like, they don't have an elite five or six. 
And I think that's what wins in the playoffs. So like all these games where, you know, when you see, when you play, like just like play the Bucks, right? Well, they'll play the Bucks coming up here. Giannis will play 34 minutes in the playoffs. Giannis will play 40 minutes, right? right. Like, like those two, that the, the math just changes. And so I think the Nets don't really have like another level to go to like that, that some of these other teams do. But I mean, could they win a game? I don't want to have that on the record that I got that one wrong. So the Nets anything... will win a playoff game. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. All right. We're going to get out of here. Um, good to be back from the all-star break. Good to be just back in the swing. And that, and that's things so sometimes just feels a little too long. You try to try to satiate yourself with the dunk contest and the three point contest. And just, I'll tell you right now, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but make sure that if you are along for the ride, if you're new here coming out of the break, make sure you subscribe over to Locked on Nets YouTube. Subscribe Locked on Nets wherever you listen to the podcast. Totally free ways to help the show, and they really, really help us. Subscribe wherever you listen. I've got a bright future ahead of me. Justin Bibert. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.